course, is given only to Christians, amen, is to pray for our brothers and sisters. And so what a privilege he's given us this evening to be able to do that. He's also given us a glorious opportunity to open our Bibles together this evening. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We have uh, safely arrived this evening to chapter 16 already, and uh, it is amazing how fast time really does go. And so let's uh, read together this evening Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. And um, brothers and sisters, these are indeed the very words of God himself. Verse number one, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea And it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Verse number four. And the third angel poured out his vial. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed the pattern here, but uh, again, the angels, every angel that's ever mentioned in Holy Scripture is always a him. It's always a he. And uh, no different here in the book of Revelation. Verse four. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Verse 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Well, brothers, brethren, as we embark into chapter number 16, you remember that chapter 15, which is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation, began to introduce us to the final seven bold judgments of God. And it is here in chapter 16 where that actuality becomes a reality, where the the judgments that we were introduced to begin to be poured out. And we again see that God has His glorious purposes for what He's doing. And this, brethren, as we study Scripture, as we consider what Scripture is saying this evening, it is always important for us to remember that God always has His glorious purposes for His glory alone. And that's uh, something that we must consider. And here we certainly see some primary purposes for these bold judgments. Number one, of course, is for Him to pour out His righteous judgment Uh, if you will, upon those who are on the earth, and to graphically demonstrate, and again, this is what we're going to see, brethren, as we continue on now, as these vials are poured out upon the earth, upon those who have indeed rejected Christ, who have indeed taken the mark of the beast, who have indeed worshipped his image and taken his name, we're going to be seeing how God uses these to reveal the utter depravity of men. It is a stunning thing to watch and behold, and we're going to see that as we go through 16 and 17 and 18 and chapters 19 as we continue on here. It really is, as it draws out, again, this this unrepentant nature of those who, again, have knowingly given themselves to the beast. Now, we remember, brethren, don't we, that 
in the book of Revelation, there are indeed a series of three judgments, and we've already looked at two of them, amen? We, we remember as we were going along here that we looked, if you will, at the seven seal judgments back in chapter 8. We looked at the trumpet judgments, and here are the seven bold judgments. So we see these, a series of seven judgments, amen, that are, we find in the book of Revelation, and, if we, and we, as we have seen, as we looked at the, if you will, at the seal judgments, as we looked at the trumpet judgments, and now here at the bold, if you were the vile, the vile judgments, we have seen that as the judgments have progressed, they've progressed in much intensity, amen, as God is uh, bringing his final judgment here, much severity. The seal judgments and, this, and the trumpet judgments were partial judgments. We looked at that, and I'm, I'm distinguishing this because this is unique. What God is doing here is unique in His glorious plan, if you will, if you will concerning the other ones. Those other judgments were partial judgments, intended by God, brethren, with His glorious intention, amen, to, if you will, bring forth repentance in His lost sheep. That's what He was doing in the other judgments. He was bringing wrath upon some, but He was also using them to uh, grant repentance unto those who were lost, His lost sheep. And so that, again, is another glorious purpose. Whereas these seven bold judgments, and this is what's unique about these as we consider these, these are completely undiluted, and wholly punitive. And this is what we're going to see this evening, brethren, as we get started on this. It's unique and different in that sense that God has altogether removed, as we have seen, his gift of repentance. And this really, when you consider this, brethren, when you think about the gift of repentance and how the Bible speaks of it being a gift of God, think of that for a moment. What it means when you enter into judgment and he removes that this is completely void of repentance. There is no repentance that takes place from this time forward. It is a stunning thing to consider that, brethren, as his judgment is indeed going to be poured out upon those upon the earth. So beginning here in verse 1, John is led by the Spirit of God to describe in real earthly time the actual pouring out of the seven vials upon the earth. And as each one is poured out on the direct, it's going to be, if you will, each one poured out on the direct objects of his wrath. And that is those who have, again, rejected Christ, taken the mark, uh, if you will, worshipped his image and taken his name. This judgment is directly going towards them. And think of this again. I, I kept thinking about this when I was studying this out, that repentance is removed. It is just a stunning thing, brother, and to consider that as we look at this together this evening. And as each, as each of them are poured out, they do indeed receive God's a plague from God, which is quite stunning. I want to read verses 1 and 2 again together here as we take this up. Look at verse number 1 and verse number 2. Let's just look at a couple of things here as we consider this this evening. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell noisome and grievous sores upon men which had the mark of the beast and upon them that worshipped his image. Now, brethren, there's a couple things that our religious affections are immediately drawn to here. You remember that God in chapter 15, verse number 8, had closed himself in the temple, 
Remember that? He closed the temple. No one is allowed to go into the temple. And again, brother, God's glorious purposes are always at work here. Because if you notice in this verse, if you notice in these two verses as they are combined together, there's a great voice that comes from the temple. Who would that be? If the temple's been closed and only the kind of glory of God is there, who's the voice that's saying this? It is God himself. Amen? God himself is making sure as these these judgments are poured out that everyone knows that it is he who is pouring these things out. It's a stunning thing. He shuts the temple down. He is there. And when does he open the temple? Do you remember that? We looked at this. He opens the temple when these seven vials are done. When the judgment is finished, when it's all completed, he opens the temple back up. But at this point, he wants all the world, he wants those who are upon the earth to know that it is he who is directly responsible and personally, if you will, bringing this upon those who have bowed down and worshipped the image. It is a stunning thing when we consider this. Now listen, it is quite amazing that, um, that we draw, our, I, call, I keep calling it that, but it, that's what it does to me. My religious affections are drawn to the truth that those who worship the beast and received his mark are now here in verses 1 and 2 being marked by God. Now consider that for a moment, brethren. They've taken the mark of the beast. God is now marking them with what? With very noisome, God called, or John writes in grievous sores. It's a cunning, cunning, most amazing thing. Now that word sores, again, brethren, the, the, the wrath of God, when he brings things upon one, it is a most dreadful thing. Those sores, that word literally means an ulcer. Now think of this, brethren, for a moment. When you look it up, this is what God is doing. He's marking them who have taken the mark of the beast with ulcers. Not only are they ulcers, brethren, but they are indeed an open, running, oozing ulcer on top of the skin. Think of that for a moment, brethren. Think of that as God marks them outwardly as he is, again, depicting what they are inwardly. It's quite a stunning thing when you delve deep down into what God is actually doing. Not only are these open, running, oozing ulcers on the skin, the Bible says, and John writes here, that they are noisome sores. That literally means of a bad nature, troublesome, infectious, and injurious. I mean, this is something, brethren, that you and I want no part of. Amen? This is something of judgment of God that we want no part of. Not only are they noisome sores, they are grievous sores. And that word literally means that which is annoying, painful, and bad. And when you combine these two words, as John has done, noisome and griefsome, they together reveal that these open, running, oozing sores, which is, when I looked it up, that's literally what it means. This is literally what that word means. These oozing sores will be extremely painful, festering, and incurable. Now think about this for a moment. I, this brought to my mind, you know, the idea here of getting no repentance. Not only does not God grant repentance, these people do not want repentance. Now think of this for a moment. Let's just bring this to our own culture for just a moment. And I told Wendy, I said, what came to my mind was AIDS. <laughs> you know, remember AIDS when it broke out? Back in the 80s, back in the late 80s, remember they blamed Ronald Reagan, it was his fault, you know, Ronald Reagan. Did they want to repent? Did they want to stop doing what they were doing? Not on your life. It's the same thing here. They continued to plunge into the evilness, even though it was destroying them. 
But they continued in it. And it's the same thing here. God is bringing this judgment upon them. And the last thing they want or the last thing that's granted to them is repentance. It's a stunning thing. And this disease that is upon them is indeed greasome and noisome for sure. Now listen, this word was used in the Old Testament. You know what the Septuagint is? The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew language. And this word is used exactly in the Greek Septuagint, in the Old Hebrew, if you will. Look with me, if you will, to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Turn there, chapter 9. And again, a very or Exodus chapter 9, a very familiar portion of Scripture to it. But this same exact word is used here when God did this to the Egyptians. It is indeed ulcers, open, oozing sores, a judgment of God that he placed upon them when he drew his people out from amongst them. Look at Exodus chapter 9. And again, thinking in your minds here that there is no cure just like I was, the point I was going to make with the age thing, instead of uh, repenting, instead of turning from their wickedness, all they do is look for a man-made cure. They look for some kind, of a, some kind of a cure to it so that they can continue in their evil wickedness, which is exactly what these and the people in Revelation are doing. It's a stunning thing. Look there, Exodus chapter 9. Look at verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become a small dust in the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains, oozing sores. This is precisely the judgment that God brought upon the nation of Egypt when he was, uh, when he was taking his people out of bondage. And again, you remember the songs that are sung, the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. Amen. Lay them side by side, as I said, and this is what you see. You see God delivering his people out and from, and this is what he did. Look there, with blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took the ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beasts. Verse 11, and the magicians could not stand before Moses. And again, brethren, you remember that they were able to mimic or copy, if you will, a few of the plagues that God brought upon them. This one here, God separated himself, just like he did here. He's the only one in the temple. He's going to let them know that he alone is the one bringing this judgment. No one else is coming from him. Same thing here. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon the Egyptians. And again, brethren, we see no repentance. It's the same thing here. God has withdrawn his repentance in this portion of Holy Scripture. It really, really is amazing. In fact, as one pastor said, I just wrote it down. He said, no doubt in our text in the book of Revelation that the greatest medical minds of the age will do their best to find a cure, but they will indeed fail because it's incurable, because it is a judgment of God. There will be no cream, no drug, no nothing, brethren, amen, that will bring relief to the people suffering from these noisome boils and grievous sores. It is a judgment from God. It will not be relieved. There will be no relief. In fact, it only gets worse. It begins on them. And then look what God does. Look at the second vial here back in Revelation. So he begins by taking away their health, Amen, and I don't know. I don't know if you could liken it to today, but 
you know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. People spend a lot of time working out and doing this and trying to be healthy all the time and this and that. And it's okay to be healthy. You should be healthy. Take care of yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. But when your health and your body becomes an idol, when that's all you're worried about, health, 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 how do I look? You can't walk by a mirror without, you know, turning your head to look in the mirror, that kind of thing. This is what's happened. God is taking all of that away, out of their control completely, which is really when you consider... Now, brothers and sisters, when you read stuff like this and you consider the text that we're in, aren't you thankful tonight that if you're saved, you're saved? Amen? I mean, this is the wrath of God. You realize here, and this is one of the differences that I would have with those who think that the church goes through the Great Tribulation. I don't believe the church goes through the Great Tribulation because this is indeed the wrath of God being poured out upon those who are upon the earth. Amen? You remember earlier in the book of Revelation, who had the wrath? Satan had the wrath earlier, remember? And Satan's wrath was upon God's people. This is God taking his people out of that, saving them from this wrath because of the blood of Christ, because we've been saved, because we've been washed in his blood. The wrath of God cannot come upon you, brethren. If you're washed in the blood of Christ, that wrath was appeased by Christ himself. Amen? Satan tried to do his wrath upon the martyrs and upon the people of God earlier. Now God is reversing it. God is taking his wrath and bringing it upon those who are lost and who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing. Imagine, brethren, if you read this and you think, well, I've got to go through this. <laughs> oh, no. You and I, if you're like I am, when I read stuff like this, I get down on my knees and I thank God that we're not going to go through that. Amen? Wow. Grievous, noisome, sores, ulcers. Not only that, look what else God does as the second vial is poured out. Now, this is important, brethren. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul in the sea died. The second angel pours out his vial upon the sea, and John writes here that it became as the blood of a dead man. In other words, what is he saying? What is he telling us? The world's oceans will become thick and dark and coagulated like the blood of a corpse. Literally, brethren. This is what he's describing. When John says that this is what's going to take place, this is what's going to take place. He says it's going to be like the blood of a dead man. You'll notice in the next verse, he just uses blood. Here he says it's blood like a dead man, like a corpse. It's a big difference. This plague will cause every living creature in the seas to die. And the seas, brethren, will indeed become, if you will, a vast aquatic cemetery. When one considers, think of this for a moment, that 70% of the surface of the earth is covered with seas. Think about this for a moment. Now, this, brethren, is worldwide. Again, this is not a regional thing. This is like it wasn't a regional flood. This is something that's global. This is something that God is going to bring globally upon all of the, those who are, have knowingly given themselves to the beast and have followed him and wandered after him and worshipped him and done all the things that John records for us here in verse number 2. When you consider that 70% of the surface of the earth is covered with the seas, we see how far-reaching global this plague really will be. It will be an amazing thing. Now let me ask you guys something tonight. I found this interesting when I was studying this out. 
Have you guys ever heard of the red tide? Anybody ever heard of, the, heard of a red tide? Are you guys familiar? Ever heard that? Oh, we got some who've heard of the red tide. Interestingly enough, let me describe to you what a red tide is. In fact, John Phillips describes this phenomenon that kills millions of fish and poisons those who eat them. It's a stunning thing. This, see, on a very small scale, this has already happened in our own country. Do you realize that? Off the, off the beaches of Florida? In 1949, there was a red tide that came. It's an amazing thing. And it left a 60-mile windrow of stinking, rotting, dead fish that were, that were along the seashore, along the beach there, if you will. And this is how they described it. When this thing hit, he says, First the water turned yellow, and by midsummer, brethren, by midsummer it was thick and viscous like a dead man's blood. Stunning, brother. Think of this for a moment. See, this, this, this is something. Again, this is a miraculous thing of God that he's going to do worldwide. Now, I believe it just because the Bible says it. I believe he's going to do it because it says it. But we've already seen it take place just on such a little scale. This red tide, it's an amazing thing, brother, when you think about that. And much of the marine life was wiped out. Even the bait that the fishermen were using to, catch, to try and catch the fish, even the bait died in it. Everything died. It killed everything. It's a stunning thing. The worldwide sun-soaked beaches and worshipers that are now, I, I just, I thought of Florida because I, I think about that, right? I mean, the beaches and they got, you know, they worship the sun. Many do. That's what they do. That's what they live for. Many of the sun-soaked beach and the sun-worshippers, brethren, will not be coming to the beach when God brings and pours out this wrath upon them. It's a stunning thing. What will greet them is the stench of death and the stench of billions of sea creatures who have been washed up, who have been floating up, and the water will be thick as a dead man's blood. Stunning thing, isn't it, brethren, when you consider what God is going to do? He's taking everything from them. He is showing his glory, his gloriousness, his power, his sovereignty, his authority over all of creation. Stunning thing. Just like when the Lord Jesus, you know, multiplied the fish. <laughs> you realize you and I, and, and I'm not saying this in an unholy way or anything, or any kind of irreverent way, but all Jesus had to do was speak, and it produced and produced and produced and produced. It's amazing, isn't it? God's control over his creation. Where's Levi? Not Mother Nature, right, Levi? But Father God. You always hear that nonsense, Mother Nature. Mother Nature, it's, it's really raining. Mother Nature's bringing some rain. No Father God is. It's a stunning thing. It really is. Now with this pouring out, it's a stunning thing. You look there at verse number 4. Look at verse number 4 again. And now the third vial is poured, and the Bible says here, and the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Well, I thought he just poured it out on the seas. He did. Well, now he pours it out on the rivers and the fountains. You know what the rivers and the fountains are? The rivers and the fountains are, of course, clean drinking water. <laughs> you can't drink, 
You can't go down to Florida and drink the water down there. It's salt water. You can't drink it. Neither now will you drink this. God now, not only the seas, not only killing all that are in the seas, he now turns his judgment upon that which is life-sustaining water, fresh water that they are able to drink, which they are able to drink no more. It is quite a stunning thing when you figure this out. Whether it be a spring, a well, or a municipal water system, God turns it all into blood. All of it. The world has become bloodthirsty during this time, brethren, as we all know, right? I mean, the world is bloodthirsty. They are killing the saints and the martyrs and had killed up to this point the saints and the martyrs up to the millions. The blood flowed. They were bloodthirsty, no question about it. It's an amazing thing as the enemies of God shed their blood. He now honors their insatiable desire for blood by giving them blood to drink. Again, brethren, think of this for a moment. Think of it for a moment, what God is doing. I always say, right, we, we, we listen to these, these crazy, insane, reprobate liberals coming up with some of the most crazy, insane things. It's insanity, brethren. And what do I keep saying? I just think of Haman. I think of you know, God in the Old Testament when he took care of the man builds the gallows to hang a, a godly Jewish man, and he himself gets hung on his own gallows. It's, it's an amazing thing. And what you see here is that same thing in play. You see God here giving them blood to drink because they are indeed bloodthirsty. And if you look there at verse number 6, John tells us. It isn't Pastor Mike standing up here saying, oh, that's what he's, he's, just, that's what he's thinking. He's insinuating that. If you look at verse number 6 there of, of, of Revelation 16, look what it says. For they have shed the blood of the saints. <laughs> what does he say? And prophets. And thou hast given them blood to drink. Do you see that there, brothers and sisters? This is God again, his judgment as he is pouring it out on his enemies, on those who indeed martyred all of his saints. Those who were certainly a part of it over the years. In the Bible, look what it says there at the end of verse 6. Well, I'm going to read verse 6. For they, th they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. It's an amazing thing, brethren, when you consider how God has indeed turned this thing all around. I like what one pastor said. He said, those who worshiped the beast took his mark and his image. They refused the living water. They refused the Lord Jesus Christ, the living water. Therefore, God gives them death to drink. Think of that, brethren. Now, I am not gleeful. I hope you don't think I'm up here gleeful in this, because I'm not. But when you consider what God is doing, you can't help but be thankful, grateful, understanding His grace that has been poured out upon you if you're saved here tonight. You really can't. You read these things and... You ponder these things and you study these things. He is indeed revealing their total depravity of man. Look at verse number 5. The third angel, verse 4, pours out his vial upon the rivers and fountains, the fresh water, and they became blood. And verse 5 says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. 
What a glorious statement. What a glorious thing for the angel who indeed had jurisdiction over the fresh water. He applauds God here for his judgments. You know what I do? I applaud God for his judgments. His judgments are holy and pure and good always. They always, if you will, meet the punishment. Amen? The punishment always meets the crime. It's always perfectly doled out by God because He is perfect. It's the same here, brethren. You want to shed some blood? I'll give you some blood to drink. You want to rebel? You want to be uh, uh, a, a total reprobate? Then this is what is going to take place. This is what's going to happen. He applauds God for His judgments. He says God is righteous. Yes, He is. He says that God, uh, if you will, uh, he, he says here as well that God is eternal. So the angel knows, and he says, therefore, nothing slips by God's clock. If I can say that. Nothing here that's taking place ever slips by God's clock. Ever. God is righteous. God is good. God is holy. All of those things. And he praises him and he applauds him. Because God, by His decree, do you know what a decree is, biblically? If you define what a decree is. The angel's looking here and saying, this was a God's decree. In other words, it was His eternal edict. It was something that He said. His eternal plan of operations, if you will. That's what a God's decree is. And the angel's simply acknowledging, much like God Himself, these decrees are unchangeable. And he understands that. Therefore, as the angel is watching what God is doing, he's applauding him and praising him for his righteous judgments and what he has done. Because by God's providence, you realize that decree and providence, providence actually flows from decree. But his providence here, let me define that. His providence are his actions in real time that bring about his foreordained purposes to pass. The two are together. They are like Siamese twins, if you will. And the angel is just looking at God going, yes, Lord, you are righteous. You have spoken it. There is an edict that is unchangeable that you have spoken, and you are now bringing it to pass by your good pleasure and purposes and providence. It is a stunning thing. And if you look there at verse number 7, not only does the angel applaud him for his righteousness and for his judgments and for what he's doing because he's bringing about his decrees through his glorious plan. But look at verse number 7. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are, your, are thy judgments so this voice seconds can i say that word this voice seconds what the first angel has already said he simply seconds that amen it's like when you're in me i second that what was just said i believe and i second it this is what the voice is doing from the altar which is quite amazing thing and he is seconding the truthfulness the fairness the righteousness of god's actions all of these things are good, and if you want to use the word fair, 
this is where fair really plays in. You remember when people say today, they'll tell you, well, if you believe in the sovereignty of God and that God elects some to salvation, that's not fair. You don't want God to be fair. You know what God's doing? He's being fair here. You know why? Because they all deserve what he's bringing upon them. That's when God is fair. Grace is gone. Repentance is gone. This is what you get when God is fair. When he brings his judgment against a rebellious sinner. You and I deserved it. That's why I tell people, you don't want God to be fair. In fact, if you look in Scripture, you never see that word used. Do you understand that? Except that you know, it's used in some, you know, David saw some fair maidens. You don't ever see the word fair mentioned with God. It doesn't exist until here, where God is fair. He's simply giving them what they have brought upon themselves. They are reaping, brethren. You know the old, right, Galatians? You're going to reap what you what? So, no changing that, brother. When God's grace is gone, when the granting of repentance that he gives as a gift is gone, there is no more left. Stunning. Stunning thing. Again, I'm thankful at this point that I lived during the church age. (laughs) Amen? It's good to live during the church age. God has ordained us all to be here tonight to live in the era that we live in. But what is coming is a most amazing and stunning thing. As God speaks from the temple that has been shut because His glory is there, because His holiness is there, as He is instructing and sending forth so that all the world knows, it is I, God. It is I, the great I Am. He who has indeed and does indeed inhabit Eternity, God, who is holy. I am bringing my holy and good judgments, fair judgments, and righteous judgments upon those who have indeed rejected Christ. The soy seconds the truthfulness, fairness, and righteousness of God's actions, reiterating that God always, and I'll close with this, God always remits the perfect punishment to match the crime. Always. That's God's nature. That's his character. That's who he is. When grace is gone, this is what you get. Brother, think of that. (laughs) Think of that for a moment as we go out tomorrow with another opportunity, Lord willing, if he opens the door to speak of his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. What a glorious thing for us to be able to say. Repent. Repent. That word is gone now here in our text from this time forward. Think of that, brother. Just think of the the gravity. Again, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my little mind trying to grasp and get a hold of the depth of all of this. But that is a stunning and amazing thing to consider. All right. Well, let's pray together this evening. Father, we, again, are so grateful for holy the Holy Scriptures. We're thankful for every jot and every tittle. We thank you tonight for this glorious text that reveals so much. 
it does indeed show us, well, many things, but one for sure, that grace, the gift of grace, the gift of repentance, the gift of belief, all of these things are gifts given by you to the sinner that he might believe or she might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And we've entered into a portion of Holy Writ now where that is all gone. And we really do indeed see these people that run around and say, it's not fair, God's not fair. Oh, my, my. Father, we would not want you to be fair to us. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your long-suffering. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his blood. We thank you for what all that entails. We thank you for his death, his burial, his resurrection. We thank you for his imputed righteousness that was given to us and applied to our accounts if we're saved tonight. Father, we're thankful again for the time that we live. We thank you for the gospel, that you have been so gracious to us that you've saved us through the gospel so that we might preach the gospel to other lost sheep who in turn will and then by the Spirit's uh, regeneration that they too will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. What a glorious thing. And this continues on until this particular time and earthly time. And Father, may we consider how precious it really is, what value it holds, eternal value. And Father, may we be faithful preachers of that. May we be found faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in doing it. And Father, now as we close in prayer together tonight, we are again reminded, we again think of our brethren who are this very hour being persecuted beyond measure. We pray for them. We think of our lost friends and lost family and lost children, lost uh, relatives. Oh, Father, we pray for them. And we do as Paul even did with the elders we saw just a couple of weeks ago. We commend them to you and to the word of your grace. Father, we pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.